Hey, Teresa. Hey, Sam. How does it feel to be back in Chicago? Um, it feels good. It feels a little weird, honestly, but only because my semester's not over yet because I feel like I usually come back during breaks and now I'm coming back during finals, which is like a different vibe. But I'm happy to see my parents and my little sister. And I've been eating some good-ass Chinese food recently when the last few days I've literally just been eating the remaining the remainder of the eggs in my fridge in Philly. So it's good to have a little a little taste palette for my dinners now. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that taste palette thing. I spent pretty much the whole day today cooking um, because my mom is working for Thanksgiving during the day and we're just going to get her for the night. So, and she's like the main cook. <laughs> so we spent the whole day cooking with her to prepare for like the day tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to do something pretty small and just like over zoom most people, um, which should be fun. I don't know. Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday. Um, yeah. For some reason, Christmas to me, just feels a little a little long like it goes on for a really long time but thanksgiving is just kind of there and done so but it's been really nice to be back and um yeah yeah i, I love being back in chicago yeah i feel like i feel that way about christmas but only after i started going to college and coming back just because yeah. like break yeah. is so, or winter break is so long you know while like at school it was like the biggest relief because you know our school was on the fucking quarter system um which was brutal so christmas was always really nice in high school but i feel like i just associate it with like a really really long stretch of time ever since coming back for the holidays from college oh yeah i yeah i definitely feel that we have got a great show for you guys today, and we're really excited to talk to the director of the recent award-winning film Residue, Marawi Gavima, and we are going to be talking with him over a glass of autumn punch. Great. Let's get started. So, Teresa, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you chose this drink? Yeah, so we actually have a recipe today for you guys. Um, this is yeah, this is an autumn punch recipe where you're gonna need two oranges, eight cloves, six cups of apple juice, cinnamon stick, ground nutmeg, a fourth cup of honey, three tablespoons of lemon juice, and two and one fourth cups of pineapple juice. Um, so actually you don't need this much, but if you have a lot of friends like I do, this serves 16 people, which isn't even half of my friends. So I would have to make two of these, <laughs> but <laughs> Sam is definitely laughing. Oh, he's not even muted. He's not laughing. Okay. Um, so <laughs> expose yourself. <laughs> so basically I, every time, you know, I come home, for the holidays, I feel a little bit more festive than I do in college. So this recipe is really great because um, all you have to do, and I'll link the recipe, it's from allrecipes.com. Um, all you have to do is sort of preheat the oven 
um, kind of put that orange with clove mix in there, bake it a little, and then you just combine everything with the apple juice in a saucepan. Super easy, super simple, very festive, can serve all or half of <laughs> your friends and family. Um, yeah, Sam, what do you think about this drink? Yeah, um, it can also just serve yourself if you just like really love the drink. Or if you just want 16 of them, like some people get thirsty. Um, it's pretty good. It's kind of what you would expect. It gets you in the festive mood. Drink this, put on like a blanket, um, throw on like that Charlie Brown Christmas theme music. Cause it's about to be after Thanksgiving. So that's like when Christmas music, I feel like really starts. If you listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, it's like, you just need like to chill. There's just a lot more things to look forward to. That's a whole month and a half of Christmas music. Like, come on, we can do better. Um, wow, that was a really, really big take on the show. No, because the other thing is there aren't that many Christmas songs. Like there just aren't. Look, I've heard every Christmas song. So if you're listening to a month and a half of Christmas music every year, you do it every year. It was like a new Christmas song introduced like once a decade. Like, I'm just hearing the same songs a lot. I mean, Tanache just released Comfort and Joy. That's a con- that's a, that's an album, Christmas album you have not listened to yet. So better get on it. Better get on it. Shout out Tanache. We love Tanache. Mm-hmm. Moving on to today's episode. So excited to be interviewing Marawi on this podcast about his film Residue. I watched this film about um, a little over a month ago um, because I really loved um, films that were produced by Ray. And um, also this film just struck a lot of chords for me personally um, because, you know, me and Sam both grew up um, in Chicago and um, at least for me, every time I come back from college, I always get like updates from my parents about what has changed in the neighborhood. And it's usually like a new restaurant or a new like fancy store that wasn't there before. And um, I think it's just really hard to kind of capture what it feels, not only gentrification, but also what it feels like seeing the place that you grew up sort of change. Um, because I think that like gentrification is seen a lot in like third person view, you know, it's like a very um, socioeconomic issue, but I think this film does really well, like what it feels like for a person to come back and not really recognize where they grew up or even the people that they grew up with. Yeah. I feel like we grew up during a time where Chicago was like at the tail end of their gentrification, um, and, like, I can't imagine growing up in, like, the early, I guess we kind of grew up in the early 2000s, but, like, that time when you Chicago was, like, really just gentrifying everything. But I think you can still see, like, that, um, and, like, they continue to gentrify, like, more and more. Um, but I think this film, like, highlights that aspect of what's going on, but in, like, such a subtle way, in such just, like, a realistic way. Like, I think you see um, a lot of media about gentrification that just isn't good or just focuses on the stories of the wrong people. 
like I don't really want a story about gentrification from this perspective as someone who's like actively gentrifying. Um, so I think it's like awesome that this, there's so much depth to what this film is doing um, in terms of not only the like social stance that it takes or the political stance that it takes, but also just exploring interpersonal relationships between the characters. That's really beautiful. And with that, do we want to call Marawi on? Yep, let's call him right now. How's everybody? Great, great. Um, I know that Teresa watched the film a while ago, and actually I just watched it today, so it's like very fresh on my mind. But we're excited. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Where are you calling in from? I'm in Chicago with my, my fiance. She lives out here. So Wait. Oh, no way. We're in Chicago, too. Oh, that's tight. Yeah, we we at Southside, Woodlawn, Grand Crossing. Okay. I live on the south side by Woodlawn also. Oh, tight. Which, 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 which streets? Um, I live on Ellis and 54th. Tight. We're over by well, 71st, like around 71st and like um, Stony. Okay. Wait, that's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And I'm down in South Shore on 69th and Bennett. So we're oh, all in the tight. same kind of area. That's what's up. That's cool, man. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, everybody's like, you in Chicago? I thought you were in D.C. But, like, I actually just got back from D.C. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, D.C. is expensive, man. True. <laughs> it was weird how everybody kind of immediately went to, you know, calling the film, like, magical realism. You know what I mean? And in that way, just kind of, the vocabulary itself kind of reduces it to, like, a super kind of westernized context. You know what I mean? And, mm. and um for me, it just feels like, I mean, just on that point alone, in terms of like magical realism, not to just jump in on this section, but it's just on that point alone. Um, for me, the goal was to be as realistic as possible. You know what I mean? No no magic, no surrealism, no nothing. Like, this is actually how it feels. It's like walk through a space where you're, you know, you were born, raised, <laughs> you know, formed all your most critical bonds and, you know, relationships. And then to like come back to that space and then to be completely raised to the ground, you know what I mean? But like not raised in a way where you could like see the smoke and remains and see the destruction, but like raised like this pristine, you know, perfected, like cemented over kind of thing as if it never existed. That's the shit that really kicks you, you know, that's the shit that really throws you off. It's just, it's just like a total erasure rather than something you can point to and be like, no, nah, it was destroyed, you know what I mean? You can't, there's no burning. Uh, building to point to, you know, no destroyed building, demolished buildings. It's totally um, cemented over, you know. Um, and people who, who kind of, the new population comes in and just falls right in line and just goes on living there as if they've been there forever. You know, that's the other part of it. Yeah. You know, it's like this total cooperation between people who never met, you know what I mean? The folks who come and develop that shit. Uh, and actually, not only it doesn't even start with them. It starts with, of course, the government who puts in place these policies which allow gentrification and all these types of displacement to happen. They invite it in, you know, uh, to broaden their tax base or whatever other reason they may have. Um, they invite it in. The police are really employed as a cleanup crew, you know, to wipe out the population that exists there, you know, to accelerate their removal. 
um, you know, <laughs> the fact that, you know, they're employed to like, you know, evict people, U.S. Marshals, you know what I'm saying? All that whole, the militarized nature of eviction itself, you know what I mean? And then uh, the, um, you know, the, the developers who then come in, you know what I mean? It's, as if it's all coordinated, you know what I mean? As if there's a master plan, which there isn't, you know? It's just the movement of capital, but like these, these developers come in, they do their thing. And yeah. then white folks just come in just like, oh, look at this, you know what I mean? And, you know, kind of they're already pre, pre-programmed by society to just jump right in and just exist as if that's where they were born, you know, as if that's theirs, you know, as if they have, you know, exerting total control, you know, over it. Um, and uh, ostracizing folks who've been there forever, you know. But, uh, yeah, sorry, go off on that tangent. Oh, no, I feel like we both grew up in Hyde Park or around Hyde Park, where that's like oh. very much been going on. Um, but I, I can tell, I can sniff it out just being here, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. For the few weeks, most that I've been here, I'm like, this ain't right. <laughs> this ain't right. No, you can definitely see it. Um, but in the film, I thought it was kind of really interesting how you showed that like uncomfortability, especially in the dialogue scenes. Um, and I noticed you had a lot of scenes where you kind of cut a character's head off or you shot from like a different angle than I think. I'm normally used to, and could you talk a little bit about your your choices in terms of shot selection in those dialogue scenes? Can you, can you like, which one are you, do you have in mind? Yeah, so I was thinking about um, when Jay and Dion um, have that scene kind of in the forest and Dion's face is like completely cut out. Um, and just kind of the shots in that scene were all from like kind of below a little bit. Like I felt like we were looking up at both characters. You know, uh, it's funny because I wish I could claim uh, intentionality from an artistic standpoint and that one specifically. But the truth is um, we were running out of time in the forest. Um, and also we wanted to um, have both sides of the, of the um, of the coverage kind of backlit, you know, and the sun is really only coming from one place. And we wanted basically the sun to be behind both of them, which is impossible. So we, we, I think we did what my cinematographer called like a French turnaround or something like that. Basically like you just switch them around and keep them in the same place, keep the camera in the same, keep the camera in the same general place. Um, and in order to make it cut, we position them in that way, you know, um, of course, in the edit, all that kind of got thrown out the window because the scene changed and the way I wanted to, to play the scene out kind of changed up. Um, so it was kind of difficult to edit that scene. But a lot of the stylistic choices, a lot of the choices which appear as like super aesthetic choices in the film um, really came directly out of our like, you know, essentially our economic conditions. You know what I mean? Like we, we really didn't have uh, the time to to for these choices to actually be aesthetic they were actually just like concerns of schedule and like time and budget and like you know what we could pull off um and uh and i'm i'm actually proud of that you know what i mean like i i, I like that a lot i like the fact that like our our decisions were informed by our reality and that we made the best of it you know and uh we we achieved you know um I'm I'm happy with what we achieved with what little we had 
because it, it is it stands to me as you know just an expression of possibilities outside of what we're used to imagining you know what i mean in film when you don't have much money my only hope is that i'm like if i get money for my next project will i still have the bravery you know what i'm saying or even the, the creative wherewithal to like you know imagine uh in these ways you know what i mean which were basically prompted by restrictions you know if i have the money that and no longer have those economic restrictions will i still be as creative you know and it's something i think about a lot me and my cinematographer talk about it all the time mark g rutner yeah, I gotta talk to him too. He's dope, man. He's super deep, dude. Like we had some really incredible conversations, which basically fashioned this film. You know, he came in at such a late stage. It's it's incredible to think, you know, what we achieved in the time that we had. Yeah, no, I mean, it was beautiful. Like that scene has been playing through my head, and it's like, yeah, I feel like it doesn't matter like what the conditions are that creates it. Like it's just awesome that it got created. Yeah, but in many ways, it's almost like. It, the conditions are everything, you know, because there's many things that like a large production would never even attempt, even though they have, you know, way more ability to, to do so, you know. There's something about the fact that we didn't have like a, um, you know, like a perfected script, you know, which kind of um, intensified our, our courage, you know what I'm saying, which kind of encouraged, you know, which really, um, freed us you know in a way that like is not possible or not possible that just certainly not um it's just not something that you see with productions that have money you know what i mean like I, I mean to say that like the the conditions do matter almost to the point where i'm like if if i do get a lot of money don't tell me you know what i'm saying like just have me thinking that we only have you know ten thousand dollars you know what i mean like so then we could just really be on this kind of thing and just you know what I mean? Because I, I think it just it affects everything, you know what I mean? And just ha knowing that uh, that uh, it puts you in a certain mind, mind frame for total kind of creative solution making, you know, because, of course, we know, like, creativity is really born out of your restrictions. And um, I don't know. I'm rambling. Yeah, like, sort of going off of that, so you said that you had an unfinished script. So most of your ideas for this film were, like, revolving around a concept and then based on your restrictions you would figure out how to meet that concept or like what type of boundaries did you put on the script and what did you kind of leave room for the changing budget and schedule etc well the script was like i thought i had a completed script you know what i mean like i thought it felt good to me when we went into shooting and it wasn't until i went to edit that it was like clearly unfinished like it was like clearly we have no ending you know and so basically um that's when we decided to like go shoot some more the following summer but um i guess because it was so open-ended you know what i mean because it was so unlocked you know what i'm saying as a script we you know basically were forced and were free to like kind of author on the fly in terms of like where the story should go so like you know, um, I knew that I knew that he would kind of live in, you know, this this memory, this state of like constantly remembering, like as he goes to the city. Um, but I didn't know exactly per se the, the memories he would have, you know. And so um, basically it was like 
I know it's about his childhood. It's about the kid that the other boys who grew up with. And so like, we don't have, you know, like it's hard. Every actor we get is like, uh, it's like a battle to like get even one kid, you know what I mean? So it was just like, what we were able to achieve came down to like how many boys were able to enlist and able to like cast for the film and like, um, what kind of moments we're able to find them at, you know what I mean? All on the block, like all on Q Street. So it was like, all right, I just know I need a scene of them, like, you know, or I need to build their relationship out. So like, what can we make out of this moment where we have these variables, you know what I mean? Like three boys, you know, all this kind of thing and like a bike, you know what I mean? So it was like that type of like uh, openness where it was like, we, yeah, I think a larger production, for example, would be like, okay, it was written in the script that there's five boys, so we, we're going to get five boys, and there's going to be five bikes, you know what I'm saying? And it's going to be literally, like, on this strip right here, we need it by, you know, like, sunset, and they're going to, like, do this thing. But, like, that really has nothing to do with those boys, their relationship with each other, how long they know each other, you know what I'm saying? Like, the conditions present in the, in the neighborhood right then when you get them, you know what I mean? It has nothing to do with, like, uh, the, the, the shoot as it has been going on up to that point. You know what I mean? And so it kind of forces uh, the, the, the script writer's imagination to like, to, um, to really be crystallized, you know what I mean? In the, in the, in the shooting, you know, it's like the script writer who is divorced from reality when he's writing that script, you know what I mean? Who's, who's, uh, it, 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 it keeps the script from being, uh, impressed upon by reality of the moment, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. kind of being flexible and, and growing according to what's going on. And then yeah. on top of that was like, you know, gentrification in the city. Like, we don't know what, how, what evidence of it we'll get, but like we have our cell phones at the ready, you know what I'm saying? And like smaller, faster cameras at the ready to catch it in any forms that we feel like we can get. So we had a running rule, you know, photographs, photograph all white folks who are in Q Street, you know what I mean? Because that's evidence of like gentrification. Stop what we're doing and like get them on camera. You know, anything that's happening in the city that's like, interesting or has anything to do with this theme or that theme uh we have certain rules around and we're able to like chase these threads which themselves ended up influencing what the film will become you know mochella exploded in you know 2019 that was you know the city's kind of response to gentrification this cultural explosion while i was editing you know what i mean and because this kind of spirit of you know just capturing shit without knowing how it'll be used was already in play all i had to do was go get a camera or my cell phone go downtown and film that thing you know what i mean not knowing you know in what form it would make its way into the film or even if it would but just knowing that like the film is open-ended you know it's really just a goulash you know it's prepared you know it's, it's ready to be uh to accept all ingredients you know and find its way around all of them into a into an interesting kind of you know end product Definitely. Um, and something for me that really helped like wrap up that end product was uh, the musical choices you made. Um, and I was wondering, um, like, I don't know that much about DC music, but it seemed like very DC influenced. And I was wondering how you chose what to highlight and how you felt like it played a role in the film. Yeah, so Mochella, which I was talking about. So, you know, DC music, our music is called go-go music you know it's very homegrown it's very unique it's only out of the it's only out of dc you know the like i don't know if you're familiar with like chuck brown but like he he's you know considered the godfather of go-go but like basically you know um it's very percussive you know what i mean it's very live it's very in your face it's very irreverent there's a whole culture around it you know fashion and 
you know, uh, all kinds of things, you know, and, and basically uh, dance, for example, you know, like style of dancing called Beat Your Feet. I don't know if you've seen the videos on IG, but it's still very alive and well. It's very, very, very cool. Um, and basically, um, once, you know, uh, white folks approached upon one like landmark in D.C. And so, you know, um, there was this thing that came out of that called Don't Mute D.C., which is you know how we refer to this kind of moment. Um, and it was basically just like, OK, y'all want to shut us down because they were trying to turn down. There's a place that plays go-go all day, like 24-7. And not 24-7, but like, you know, throughout the day. And they play it loud. That's just how it is. And white folks moved in across the street. They're like trying to, you know, get them to turn it down. So they kicked up this hornet's nest of just like live go-go, you know, kind of like protests, but like outdoor go-go, you know, kind of performances right there, in, you know, down, um, on like, four, you know, uh, in the middle of the city. And uh, yeah, it was like live bands. So that's where the whole opening comes out of, you know, it's just like live band, thousands and thousands of people, you know what I mean? That was Mochella, you know, cause in DC we call each other Mo, Mo this, Mo that. So it was a play on Coachella, you know what I mean? So Mochella, um, Go-Go, um, and Go-Go is also like in the heart of the film because Go-Go bands are like super, you know, um, like, you know, like this, when I was growing up, there's like a go-go band, like in every neighborhood has their own band, you know what I'm saying? Like every high school has like three, four, five, six, ten different bands, you know what I mean? From like different parts of the city, like different styles and, you know, different kind of things like that. So everybody just kind of comes up in that, you know? So that was like the whole drums thing that he was learning as a kid. Um, and so, yeah, it was just clear like that had to be the heartbeat of the film, you know? Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's very it's it's very characteristic of the city, um, and so yeah, it was kind of critical 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 that like that was part you know that was the soundtrack. So it was like four four different bands uh, whose music are in the film, which was really cool to just kind of get this collaborative kind of thing going with and putting all these like anthems you know anthems of the city into the into the soundtrack. So um, I know that you like you grew up in DC, but you went to school in California. And so, did going to school in California change the way that you view DC? Like coming back um, in ways beyond just realizing that the neighborhood had changed. And also, at what point did you um, like want to know that you wanted to tell a story of gentrification for your film? Uh, yeah, I mean, when I left the city <clears throat> to go to film school, I was I was pretty tired of it. You know, I had been there for so long, I was just kind of over it. You know, and I went to LA and I fell in love. I was like, Yo, LA is amazing. Like, I ain't never going back to DC. Like, DC can have it. You know, gentrification kind of had me down too. You know, what I'm saying, just like whatever. But um, you know, what they say, this distance makes the heart grow fonder. You know, whatever that is, like over the course of those three years, you know, like I, you know, even in film school, like I couldn't write anything without it being about DC. Like I was, it was where I was firmly anchored as a storyteller every time, you know, every, all my short films kind of come out of that, you know, we're just, in, you know, embroiled in that, that universe. And um, so, you know, it really gave me the space to really kind of generate a true and like deep and like profound kind of appreciation for the city where I had grown up. You know, I, I've never been like a patriotic, you know, person, but like now here I am, you know, all these years later, just like repping DC to the fullest and like fully intent on like pushing the culture as far and wide as I possibly can. 
because I was able to see it for its uniqueness, you know, from a distance. So it was, it was kind of that. It was kind of like, you know, you know I, I really want to show my appreciation you know, for this place. Um, but also, you know, in 2016, I went back, you know, to like kind of visit after a while. And, you know, of course, seeing the gentrification is what sparked the idea of, you know, making a film about it. Um, but it was really, to be honest, it's really more so about um, me trying to make sense of like how my life could have gone down such a different, you know, it's like, you know, from my, from my friends, you know, who I grew up with feeling like our lives were just on two different, you know, kind of train tracks just, just kind of, you know, kind of went in two totally different directions uh, to such a degree that it's sometimes hard for me to fathom, you know? So for this, this was important for me to try and figure out like what has happened uh, to the folks I grew up with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and kind of on the gentrification note, I feel like you see a lot of, TV show. I'm sorry, and, and and I'm sorry, real quick, and and that that has been a a, th a through line of my life far before I uh, was even in film. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. that was something I, I, that's been swirling around in my mind it's many, many, you know, over over ten years. You know what I mean? That's really been kind of like something that's that I wanted to get at. But sorry, go ahead. Definitely, I was just saying that I feel like you see the theme of like gentrification presented a lot in film and movies and done like pretty badly and like done in a way where you know that that's not what gentrification looked like. And I was wondering how you kind of struck that balance between making sure that the audience got what was happening, but not making it like way too obvious, you know? Yeah, nah, I know exactly what you mean. It's like, it's so on the head. It's, it's they actually trivialize it in a way, you know? And, it kind of makes light of the very thing that they're trying to address, you know. Um, I don't know, you know, like for me, like, um, partially because, yeah, there's so many kind of other films attacking it, I didn't really want to even say the thing, but it also goes in line with the way that we just kind of push white folks to the side, you know, uh, in terms of the frame itself. It's just like, I don't want to give them too much attention. I don't want to give them too much of my time, you know, as, uh, as a filmmaker. You know, like uh, we really only need so much to know exactly what what's going on, you know, exactly what they're up to. And for me, you know, the focus, like I said, is is, is more so about the folks I grew up with. You know, it, to me, the primary, although the film, you know, it is sure, you know, kind of, you know, kind of uh, deals with gentrification, even though it doesn't say it. It it really really was uh the project was built as an excuse to kind of archive my my community you know what i mean uh that's the whole idea is like get my folks on camera get our get our houses and you know you know neighborhoods on camera get our culture on camera our you know our music into a film um just to document that you know as at bare minimum just to say there's a document you know what i mean because we don't know what's gonna happen you know uh, to document the site, which is kind of in my mind, kind of slated for demolition, was critical. You know, as the first point. Yeah. And what are you like most proud of that you were able to achieve, like in that documentation? Uh, man, you know, like I can see the film and, and be like, yo, like I don't know, like when people were like, yo, like that was around, that, that they shot a, they shot that right around, you know, the corner from me or. 
you know, that's where I grew up, or I know this person, I know that person, you know, kind of like the local, the local kind of recognition that it, that it, that it has is my favorite thing about it is that like, you can watch the film and kind of get a sense of where it was filmed. If you know DC and, um, you know, that like, uh, a black person from the city made this film. You, know? you could have had a story where Jay just comes back for whatever reason. And then he like, you know, rediscovers, uh, his like childhood friends, but it was very meta in a way that like Jay was coming back to make a film, like kind of what you were doing. And so I think that a line that I thought about a lot was when his childhood friends were sort of criticized, criticizing him being like oh like you think you could save the world you can just like come back and just like film us and think that that's okay so like at what point was that like a struggle that you thought about yourself and at what point did you kind of like deal with that conflict yeah it was definitely out of my own kind of insecurities and you know struggles as a you know internal struggle as a filmmaker you know like what's the point like at the end of the day you're not really saving anybody you know people still dealing with the same material you know kind of, uh, catastrophe you know day-to-day catastrophes that like black people deal with you know what i mean like none of that has changed since the film has come out i think that like we know film is important we know that like culture is important we know that like it's an important battle to like step into for you know filmmakers of color to like jump into the fray and, and uh, you know, kind of like work to undo all the damage which has been done against us, you know what I mean? Uh, we know that like, uh, at a certain point, it's very physical and real and like, you know, life or death, you know, the way that we're presented, you know, and the way that like, um, we see ourselves, you know? But at the same time, like, you know, it's a long game, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it, you often feel that you were would have been better off becoming a teacher or a doctor, you know, where like the work is very, you know, um, front line, immediate and effectively, you know what I mean? Materially making a difference in people's lives. Um, so it's, the whole thing is dubious. It's hard to say, you know, I know that uh, uh, this is probably the only way, you know, kind of I could, you know, really be satiating the things driving me within my own self, you know what I mean? But at the same time, like, it's hard to quantify what good it does, you know. Um, and also hard to quantify what damage it has done. You know, none of these things are guaranteed. You know, just because I'm from the city doesn't mean anything. You know, that's the idea for Jay's character. It's like, you know, uh, Delonte is suspicious of him for this very reason. You know, what are you up to? You know, and what is motivating you? You know, at the end of the day, this film has suited my my career, you know. Like sure, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm like in a better career position than I was before it came out. You know what I mean? But like, what has it done for Q Street? You know what I mean? Very little. Uh, so to me, uh, it's a long game to like see how I can fold it into something bigger. You know, something more effective for those folks. You know what I'm saying? For my community. You know what I mean? For you know this battle that you know this white supremacist beast which we're all fighting. You know. You know what I'm saying? But uh, uh, my problem is that we go to film thinking that film is like, you know what I mean? Like we really go to film with like this kind of, uh, this misguided notion that it, you know, we're you know saving people. It really kind of engenders a really kind of white savior kind of uh, 
trope even even behind the camera. You know, I went to film school with folks who thought they were saving Native Americans. They thought they were saving Black people. They thought they were saving Latinos, gay people. You know, that they, they you know they thought they say you know they think they're saving everybody. You know, that film has this power when really you know half of them were doing more damage than if they hadn't made the film at all. You know what I mean? Because there's no real critical kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, because <laughs> you know how to, you know, what type of shit they be on. But like, you know, they, they're furthering the same stereotypes and grotesque kind of representations of these people that they, you know, they haven't like, they're not doing the work to kind of, um, you know, to not be agents of, you know, kind of mainstream, you know, rep typical representations of black folks or everybody else. Uh, yeah, so I just think it's important for every filmmaker to carry that doubt within themselves, you know what I mean? To always question literally everything about what they're doing because they're wielding a weapon so great that, and a, and a, um, a, a, a filmic vocabulary is so alien, you know what I mean? Like we grow up with like a total Hollywood film vocabulary. And every time we go to speak to say something good for our people, whoever, we're actually speaking this language which we, which we have ingested through our life, you know, growing up in this country under Hollywood's, you know, kind of um, brainwashing or whatever. Um, so we speak those same stereotypes. We, we speak all those same kind of, um, despite our best intentions, you know, we, we, uh, we kind of further uh, the damage which, which has been done. And so I just think all filmmakers really have to work very hard, you know what I mean, to, to kind of develop their own new and personal and, you know, unique and healing vocabulary. Yeah, definitely. And I loved in the film how when people were questioning Jay, it didn't feel like it was like bogus or like coming out of nowhere. Like when people questioned Jay, like I felt like I started to question Jay too. So I really like loved how you kind of walked that line. Um, yeah, it's out of love too. You know, it's, it's all love at the end of the day. You know, you can't say Demetrius hates Jay. You know, you can't watch that I'm gonna say, I'm sorry, yeah. Delante hates Jay. You know what I mean? You you can say he cares about him, but you don't trust yeah. him. Yeah, and like Jay wasn't really giving us any reason to trust him, to be honest. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what is? But you can say you could you know that he's coming with good intentions. You know what I mean? Like you know that he wants to do something. You know, you know that he's not, you know that he's not intentionally coming to destroy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of a question I had because I didn't necessarily think that Jay always had good intentions. Did you always have him as having good intentions in your head? Well, like which part? Like, I felt like him moving back to L.A. that quickly, like signaled that he never really had good intentions. Mm. But to you, did he always have those good intentions? Were those always there? I think, you know, I think uh, him moving back to L.A. is more so just him not having the, the long distance, you know, the endurance to really, like, stay and fight, you know what I mean, to, like, do what he set out to do. Not necessarily a question of his, you know, his intentions, but more so kind of his rigor, you know. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. That totally makes sense. I just kind of saw that moment as, like, a, uh, <laughs> but, um, I guess if there's one thing that you want people to take away from this film, um, what would it be? Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, it's important to add to the conversation, which is about, like, you know, Black anger. Like, it's very important for me to, like, to, to just reiterate that, like, it's all right, you know what I mean, to be, for Black people to be angry, you know, to be totally furious about what's going on, you know, what's happening to us every day, you know, in the cities especially. 
Um, and I think it's righteous, you know, I think it's totally necessary, you know what I mean? Especially now it's timely. Um, but of course, you know, the way we grow up, the way we raise, it's not okay to be angry. We could be every emotion except angry, you know what I mean? Cause that's the scariest thing in the world, you know, to uh, white America. But I, I think black anger, you know, to not, to not, to not be able to access that emotion is, is as dehumanizing as, you know, as, you know, uh, any other kind of emotion being except for us, you know, if we're not able to access this full spectrum of like humanity, I don't cast judgment on it. Like I, I don't judge him at all for the decision that he made, you know. I think it was a um decision to to you know, he refused to acclimate, you know, one one, you know, act of defiance. Who knows what happened to him since? But I think that it was critical that he felt able and right in choosing that emotion, you know. Um but I think also um uh, on the behind the camera side, I just think it's important that people know or people who otherwise would not have considered film as something that they can get into. I just think I really want, I hope to stand as, you know, amongst those examples of films that, you know, just kind of decided for themselves that they would proceed, you know, despite all, you know, uh, obstacles and, and make a movie, you know, and we like yourself at all times. And so, you know, hopefully I can pass that along to other, you know, creatives of color who's, you know, who, who have the desire to tell stories, but just don't know that it's possible. You know? I think those are all the questions we had, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We really love the film. Cool, cool. I'm glad I just know y'all. Y'all seem cool. Uh, I'm gonna definitely start following y'all on socials, you know what I mean? For real, I, I really do kind of love at least how you presented it, you know what I mean? What you're doing, you know, um, I'm gonna check that out for sure. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Two Virgins. We hope you enjoyed getting to know Marawi and check out his film Residue on Netflix. You can find this episode on our website, quarantinecontent.com or on our weekly newsletter, The Q. See you next week. <laughs>